Welcome to Living the Bible Together. This is Dr. Troy Shaw, pastor of the Liberty Hill Church, internationally headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship here online Sundays at 11 a.m. We celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each month. Our Bible study is on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock p.m. For additional information, log on to livingthebibletogether.org. Join us here weekly as we're living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Good evening, Liberty Hill. Tonight's Bible study will be coming out of 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, and I'll be teaching out of the NIV version. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for yet another opportunity to come into your presence to study your word. Lord, it is my prayer that you open every ear to hear and every heart to receive all that it is that you would have for us to receive. And dear God, I will be so careful to give you all the honor, glory, and praise because I recognize that it all belongs to you. And so it is in Jesus' name that I pray this prayer. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelite camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubims. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so that he could not see. 
He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died for he was an old man and he was heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her, by her labor pains. As she was dying, the women attending her said, don't despair, you have given birth to a son, but she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So ended the reading. So here in, some, in this evening's text, we have the Philistines captures the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant is a symbol of the presence of God. It is the symbol of the presence of God. It is the ark that in those times, in biblical times, in the time of judges, because we are still in the time of judges. This is before um, the transition into the monarchy. The Israelites would go and worship God and the ark was a representation of God's presence. It was a chest box that was overlaid in gold with a gold lid on top of it with two cherubims facing each other, the wings touching. And, in, and below the wings, that's where the um, presence of God would reside. And so what we have here in the text, we have here, we will find here where the Philistines have gone to war with Israel and while in war with Israel, they have taken the Ark of the Covenant captive. Well, one might say, well, why was the Ark of the, Cap of the uh, Covenant um, at the battlefield instead of being in the tabernacle where it should have been? What we have here is that we will find in this text, we will find the reason why it was brought into the battle um, on the battlefield. But again, this evening's text, the focus will be that of the capture of the Ark of the Covenant. But before we get to the capture of the Ark of the Covenant, let's think of, let's, um, we sh it would be important for us to find out what led up to the um, Ark of the Covenant being captured by the Philistines, who is a long-standing enemy of the Israelites. And when you hear in the text, you'll hear the word the Hebrews. The Hebrews and the Israelites, they, those are the same people, and we will use those terms interchangeably. And so again, the Ark of the Covenant has been captured, and we will find in the text what led up to that. Also in the text, we will find, we will find the what happens when, what is the negative effect of moving forward void of God's blessing? 
again, also in this text, we will see the negative effect of moving forward void of God's blessing. We already see that one of the, the, the main negative effect of moving forward void of God's blessing is that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And so before I get ahead of myself, let's let's go back to the beginning of the text and find out what led up to this capture of the presence of God. And so as we begin in verse, let's start in verse 2. It says that the Philistines um, deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them. Um, let's back up a little bit before we actually begin in two. It says, let's begin in verse one, where where it says, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. That verse right there actually goes with the previous verse, which is the last verse in chapter three. So the beginning of the fourth chapter really starts here with where it says, now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines, the Israelite camp at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Apec. And then it says the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And, and so here we have the Philistines initiating a war, if you will, against the Israelites. The text doesn't tell us why they um, initiated this war, um, but still and yet they are in trying to engage them in war. And so the Israelites... The Philistines deploy their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel is defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them in battle. So leading up to this capture of the ark, we find that Israel and Philistine are in a war. They are engaged in a war. Um, most, most scholars believe that the Philistines initiated this war. Again, it doesn't. the text doesn't give us the reason for this war but they most scholars believe that the philistines initiated the war but what we find also here is that although they may have initiated the war israel still engaged in the war and what we must really really focus in on notice that it the text doesn't share anything about the um the the israelites seeking god for a strategy or seeking God for his will. Like, should we go to war or should we come under subjection to this enemy? Because a lot of times during those biblical times, during this period, um, when another nation was stronger than another nation and they wanted to um, take over another nation, if they were stronger than that, they would give the other nation an opportunity to submit to them, meaning that they would come if you will, under their, they would, they would still be able to have their own leadership within their nation, but they would be um, pay tribute, if you will, to another nation, meaning that they would come underneath their power, but they wouldn't necessarily be running their actual nation, if you will. They were still allowed to have their own leaders, but it would be quite obvious that they were in subjection to this other nation. And so we find here that Israel never sought God's direction. They didn't, he didn't, they didn't seek God to see if, if we should go to war with them, should we surrender to them. 
They didn't seek God for his plan. Perhaps assumed they would be victorious. But here what we will find is Israel was defeated. And in fact, they had suffered some losses. They lost 4,000 men on the battlefield. And so, again, they went to war and perhaps assumed that they would be victorious. But here we find that they were defeated. So how does that look for some of us in our own lives. How many times have we assumed that we would be victorious or we would um, get the victory over a situation without prior to going to God to find out, is this, is this a good plan? Should I move forward? Should I pause? What should I do in this situation? So again, Israel goes to war with, Philist- with the Philistines without asking God's blessing, without asking God for a strategy. Again, here is the negative effect of moving forward void of God's blessing, void of God giving them the green light. In fact, they was defeated. They were defeated. How many times have we been defeated in situations where we have moved forward with our plans without consulting God, without getting the green light from God, And we move forward and then next thing you know, we're defeated. We lose. How many of us went into a marriage that we had not sought God about it? We didn't seek God to find out if this person was the right person for us. We move forward and here we are defeated. We're at a loss. We find ourselves in in divorce court. How many times have we started businesses that we had not sought God in advance. We didn't get God's blessing. We moved forward. We just assumed that God is just going to give us the victory because of who we think we are. That's kind of like a sense of entitlement. Perhaps Israel felt they were entitled to a win because of who they are. They were God's people. But that's not the case here in the text. They moved forward, void of God's blessing, and here they are. They're suffering a defeat. Some of us jumped up and moved across town or we moved out of town or to another state or another country, perhaps, without God's blessing. And then things are just falling apart. It's not coming together. How many of us have changed positions in our workplace without consulting God? We come up with our own plan. We have the sense of entitlement. Like if I do it, I know God's going to bless it. Israel moved forward in this fight void of God's blessing, void of seeking God's approval. And here they have suffered a defeat. And so they suffered the defeat. They lost 4,000 on the battlefield. And so let's look at verse three. When the soldiers, when the fight is over, when the soldiers return to camp, the elders of Israel. And when we think about when we're talking about elders, we're talking about heads of different families, you know, um, Israel was made up of the 12 tribes of Israel and each tribe would have a leader of that particular tribe. So that this is what made up these elders. So the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Isn't that sometimes what happens with us when we make these hasty decisions without seeking God first? So we come up with our own plans on and we move forward with our own plans and then they fall apart or they blow up in our face. And the first thing that we want to know is 
Why did the Lord bring defeat? Why did the Lord allow me to lose in this relationship? Why did the Lord allow this relationship to blow up in my face? Why did the Lord allow this business to fall apart? Why did the Lord allow me to suffer so much in this new position that I went after? And so again, they're saying, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistine? So as we move forward, we would think that once they want to know why the Lord brought defeat, it would seem that they would then turn and seek God to find out, well, what happened, Lord? You know, well, why did we lose today? But instead of seeking God and finding out where things went wrong, they come up with another plan. And before we judge them, because looking at the, at the text, we could say, well, why would they do, why would they move forward again without seeking God's approval? But if we really, really just take the time and stop and really think about it, how many times have we made some crazy decisions and we've moved forward with some plans and they have blown up in our face and instead of seeking God and learning from our mistakes before, we do it again. We conjure up these plans. Oh, you know what? It didn't work before, but let me try this. I'm going to try this. So they didn't seek God's approval, but what they did is they came up with this idea of let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So here, they didn't learn the lesson from before. They didn't learn the lesson from the defeat they had prior. And it wasn't long after the defeat that they come up with another plan. And th this time they come up with a plan. Let, let's go get the covenant the Ark of the Covenant. Again, this Ark of the Covenant symbolically um, symbolizes the presence of God. But they wanted to go get this symbol, this symbolic chest, this Ark of the Covenant. Let's go get that, bring it into the camp in order for it to save us from our enemies. So they, they move forward. So people sent men to Shiloh and they brought the they brought back the Ark of the Covenant. I'm in verse four of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubims and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised there, raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar of the Philistines' acts, what, what all is this shouting in the Hebrew camp? Okay, again, they had just suffered a defeat. They had not prior asked God's blessing to move forward in that battle. Um, again, they didn't seek the Lord for his blessing. They didn't ask him for approval to, uh, to engage in the war. They didn't even ask for a strategy on how to engage in the war. They didn't ask God anything. They went in their own power, in their own, with their own plan and engaged in this battle and they suffered defeat. But again, instead of stopping there and saying, okay, we messed up that time. We should ask God some questions now, because why did he allow us to be defeated? That's a word for us tonight. Some, some of us, we need to ask God why. There's some things that we have done that wasn't the smartest thing to do. We have messed up. And instead of moving forward and trying to come up with another plan, some of us, we need to stop and say, why did the Lord allow me to be defeated? 
Why did the Lord, before you move trying to get you into another relationship, you need to ask the Lord, why did this relationship not work? Before you open another business, why did this business not work? Some of us need to have these some conversations with the Lord. We need to humble ourselves and go to God and say, why didn't this work? They didn't, they didn't learn from their previous mistake. They didn't look at the defeat and, want, and start asking some questions. Yeah, they asked the questions why with the, they asked amongst each other, why did this happen? And that's like some of us. We'll, we'll ask everybody else around us, like, why did this, why did the Lord allow this to happen in my life? Instead of going to the source. We go to our friends, we go to our mama, we go to our family, we go to our dudes, we go to our husband, we go to our wives. Why did this happen? Instead of going to everybody else, we need to go to the source. But no, not them. They conjured up this plan. They assumed that all they needed to do was go get the Ark of the Covenant and everything would be all right. This time it's going to work out for us. This time we're going to be victorious. And so they go and get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it into the camp. And then they all raise such a great shout that the ground shook. They're shouting because they now have the Ark of the Covenant in their midst. And now we know without a shadow of a doubt that we're going to be victorious because we got the symbol of God's presence in our miss. So what they have done is they have went, instead of asking God, what is his will for this situation? They go and bring the presence, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and try to make it fit their will. They try to apply it to their will. We'll go get the Ark of the Covenant. And when we go get the Ark of the Covenant, and we bring it back here in our camp, we're gonna go get it so it can save us from the hand of our enemy. So what they have done, if you will, they have, they have went and got the ark. They are forcing, if you will, they are forcing God to submit to their plan. They're trying to force God to submit to their plan. Instead of asking God, they're going to get God. Again, this Ark of the Covenant, it represents God's will. It represents where God meets them. It represents God's presence. So they're going to force, if you will, God to submit to their plan. We're going to go get the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to make sure that once we go get this Ark of the Covenant, that it's going to save us. Okay, so how does that look like for us? That looks like for us is like when we... What God to submit to our plan is that we have this plan that we have in place. Okay. I went into like Israel. They went into battle with the Philistines. They was defeated. Like us, we go in, we have these plans and we engage in these plans and we have these plans that we have set forth. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to get married. I want to be with this person. I want to get in this relationship. I want to open this business. I want to apply to this school. I want to switch positions at my company. I want to open a church. I want to start a church or I want to move from my current church to another church. We come up with all these plans and what we do like the Israelites, if we, when we fail before, we try it again 
without asking God the, some questions about why we ended up in the in the in place and position that we are in in the first place. But what we do is we go get the word of God. And just like them, we bring the word of God and we try to get the word of God to submit to our plans. Okay, give me some examples. Let's say that you, you go and you look through the word of God and it has all these different promises of God throughout the word. Okay, I'm going to go get the word of God. You know, the, the Lord says that I'm going to be prosperous and the word says that I can get the desires of my heart. The word says that what God puts together, no man may no man put asunder. So we go get these words and say, you know what, I'm going to apply this to my situation. But the problem here is if the Lord didn't tell you that, I don't care how many words you go through in this Bible and try to apply it to your situation. If you didn't ask God, if God did not tell you, you are being just like the Israelites where you're trying to force God's will to submit to your plan. You're trying to apply the word to a situation that the Lord didn't say for you. Or we run to these different preachers and prophets and, and we were listening to all these different words and these words that they have cast forth for the new year and things like that. And we go and grab it and we try to apply it to our situation without asking God, does this word, is this word that you're speaking through your living word and the Bible is a living word. Is this the word that you have for this situation that I am, for this plan that I've come up with? Because it may be that that is not what God wants for you. And it could be the word that God wants for you, but it may not be the time of God. Again, we have to be careful. What is it that God wants for us? Again, they went and they got the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it back. And try to force, if you will, God to submit to their plan. I'm going to go get the Ark of the Covenant because if we go get it and bring it with us, it will save us from the hand of our enemy. How many of us are doing that? How many of us are trying to get God to submit to our plan instead of us submitting to his plan for our lives? Each one of us, God has a plan and purpose for each one of our lives. And if we know that he has a plan and purpose for our lives, then why are we coming up with these plans of ours without seeking or checking with God to make sure we're on the same page as he is? And so here they bring it back. Hophni and Phinehas comes with it, accompanies the Ark of the Covenant. They begin, once they bring it into the camp, there's a great shouting that's taking place. And then the enemy learns of it. And when they had learned, this is at the bottom of six, when they had learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, um, they were afraid. And they, they said, a God has come. And they're talking about a God with a lower G. They were referring to this as the God, a God with the lowercase G has come into the camp. They said, oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Then they say, who's going to deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? So the enemy is thinking because, again, this Ark of the Covenant, it symbolizes the presence of God. And see, when we're thinking about the Philistines and also other nations, they were known as pagan nations who actually um, had idols, who worshiped idols. 
grave, uh, wooden images, images made out of wood or made out of iron or whatever um, kind of statuette types of images, they would worship them and they had multiple images. So when they see this Ark of Covenant come into the um, camp of the Israelites, they automatically think it's a God with the lowercase g. They think it's some type of idol that they have brought into the camp and because the Philistines also knows and has heard of the reputation of the Israelites' God from the time when they were being delivered out of Egypt. They knew, and it says also here, when they say they are the gods who struck the Egyptians. See, they say they are the gods, but we know that God is the one and true living God, but they're saying the, the Philistines are describing it like there's multiple gods. Because again, they're used to worshiping multiple gods. So they're just assuming that Israel's God is multiple, like they worship multiple gods. So here they see this Ark of the Covenant and they mistakenly think that it is gods with the lower G, but it's multiple gods. And so they're like fearful, they're tripping. And I would think that if they're fearful and tripping, they knew what God's reputation had been, you would think that they would like leave them alone. But instead of leaving them alone, they said, be strong. These were some bad dudes. They was like, be strong, Philistines, be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Again, the Philistines is not a new enemy to Israel. In the book of Judges, we see that they were a common enemy for the Israelites. And that's where we get actually Samson. Uh, we're familiar with Samson, the story of Samson. He was always engaged um, in fights with the Philistines. The Philistines has always been um, enemies of Israel. And so they get, they were fearful of what they were seeing. They knew the power that the Israelites God had. But instead of running or instead of retreating or deciding not to mess with it, they said, be strong, be men, or you'll be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines, I'm in verse 10, they fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers and the ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So here we are. They assumed that all they needed to do, well, first they were assumed that prior to the war, prior to the fight with the Philistines, they thought that they would be victorious. And when they lost, they wondered why did the Lord bring defeat to us today? They presumed, they assumed. Sort of like a sense of entitlement. I just assume God is going to make us victorious. And we're guilty of that as well. We just, we, we have this sense of entitlement that we as followers of Christ, we as believers, that we just automatically believe that whatever we do, we're going to be victorious because we are um, a child of God. And so, again, they assumed prior to war that they would be victorious. They hadn't seek, sought God. They didn't seek God's blessing. And they moved forward, and here it is, a negative effect. They were defeated. They lost 4,000 men. So instead of them learning from that lesson, they, want, they questioned and asked, 
why didn't God, why did God allow us to be defeated? But instead of moving forward and going and asking God those questions and seeking God and seeking why things happened the way they did and seeking God's will for them, they came up with a plan of their own. They assumed that this plan was going to work and that all they needed to do was go get the Ark of the Covenant basically forced God to submit to their plan. They went and got the ark. We're going to bring it into the camp. And as long as we got the ark with us, as long as we got it here in the camp with us, that it will save us from our enemies. That failed again. That that plan failed. And here they are now. They're suffering even greater loss. The first time, 4,000 fatalities. This time, 30,000. Look at the progression. Each time that they refused to seek God, to get the green light from God, to get God's blessing, they continue to do it their way. They continue to move with their plans without asking God what he thought about the things or what his will was. They keep doing it. They keep doing it, keep moving forward and continuing to get and feeling the negative effect of moving forward void of God's blessing, moving forward void of God's blessing, God's approval, the green light to move forward. And here they are, defeated again. And the Bible says that the slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers and the ark. Not only did they lose 30,000 more men, but the greatest loss that they suffered is now. The Ark of the Covenant, God's presence. The thing that represents God's presence was captured. So here is the negative effect of moving forward void of God's blessings. They suffered great loss. But the greatest loss that they suffered was that of the ark, the God's presence. We cannot afford to lose God's presence. Again, the Philistines captured the ark of the covenant, the very thing that they put their trust in. And oftentimes we're putting our trust in symbols, what symbolizes the presence of God. We put our trust in the church or the church buildings or the cross around our necks or spiritual verbiage, you know, things that we just put our trust in the what symbolizes God's presence instead of putting our trust in God himself. Again, their greatest loss was the, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, again, we look at verse 11, the ark of the, the ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And we can see in their death that now God's, the prophecy that God prophesied over that would happen with the house of Eli is now starting to manifest. If we look back in chapter 2, where the first man of God came to Eli and told him because of the wickedness that his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, was engaged with in as priests, 
you know, how they were abusing and mismanaging the offerings and the sacrifices and how they were taking um, portions that didn't belong to them, how they were taking God's portions and portions of the people, things that didn't belong to them, how they wasn't satisfied with the allotted portion that God had assigned for them and how their father, Eli, didn't um, make them accountable for their actions. The only thing he did was talk to them. He didn't take action against their sin. How they were going with the women of the of the um, of the tabernacle, who served in the tabernacle. Again, God's word is manifesting here. He said that Eli's house would be judged, and that he was actually bringing an end to the house of Eli. And he says, as a sign, this will be a sign. in, in verse thirty-four of chapter two, and it says. What and what what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phineas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. So again, what God said is starting to manifest. So here, Hophni and Phineas, they died also in this battle. And so here, a lot of things is going on in this text. Again, Israel is moving forward void of God's blessing. And as a result, they have, there's these negative effects that are happening in their lives. And not only that, God's, the prophecy against Eli's house is now starting to manifest. And so as we continue to look at the text, these two sons have died, which God said that will be a sign. Before that, he says, in, in, in chapter 2, he says that there was something that's going to happen in Israel, that's going to make the ears of those people who hear it tingle. And see, we hear, we will find that God's prophecy is starting to unfold. It's starting to manifest. So here, that same day, a binge, after the, the um, Israelites are defeated a second time with a greater loss, the same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. Clothes torn and dust on his head is a symbol of grief. It's a symbol of mourning, mourning of death. A death has occurred. Not only a death has occurred, but the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And so again, he's sitting by the side of the, the road watching because his heart feared for the Ark of God. In order to fear for something, that means that you, you didn't think that where it is, what's being taken place was a great idea. There's a risk to the Ark being taken. And so again, he's sitting by the road watching, heart feared. And so when the man entered the town and told what happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Again, prior to this, the Lord had said that there was something that was going to, he was going to do something in Israel that's going to cause the ears of those who hear to tingle. And so here it is that now that, the man of God has entered the town and told what had happened, what had happened with all the people dying and with the Ark of the Covenant being captured. The whole town sent up a cry. Eli hears the outcry and asks, what is the meaning of this, this um, uproar? So the man hurried over to Eli, tells Eli what has happened. He tells him he just came from the battle line and he, uh, Eli asked what happened. And the man told him, he says, Israel fled before the Philistine, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, he tells him about his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. I'm in verse 18. When he mentioned the ark 
of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died. It doesn't say anything about his two sons. He says when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward, not because his sons had died, perhaps because he already had, you know, he had already submitted and surrendered to God's will. He knew that that was God's will, but he didn't know that it was when he got the news that the ark of, he was not expecting the ark of the covenant to be captured. And when that was mentioned, it caused him to fall backward off his chair by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. And not only that, if we continue to look, someone else affected by the news was his daughter-in-law, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas. She was pregnant near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the Ark of of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor. So a lot is taking place here because of the choices of the Israelites. Look at the trickled effect. They chose to move forward, void of God's blessing. And because they chose to move forward, look at all of this stuff that has happened. And look at all who has been affected by it. People lost their lives. The Ark of God has been captured. Because the Ark of God has been captured, people falling back. Eli fell backward off this chair, broke his neck. His daughter-in-law goes into labor because of all the stuff that has happened. So again, this allows us to understand that our choices trickle down and affect people. They affect more people than just us. They affect our children. It affects our families. It affects our coworkers. It affects um, people in our church. Our decisions affect, it has a trickle down effect. It doesn't just affect us. It affects everything connected to us, everyone connected to us. And so again, the daughter-in-law, she hears the news about the Ark of the Covenant, her father-in-law, her husband's. She was overcome by her labor pains and she died giving birth to her son. But before she dies, she names the boy Ichabod. And Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law. I'm down at the bottom of 21. De- uh, death of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And so Israel is experiencing a very dark time. They have suffered great loss. But the greatest loss is the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. They have been separated now from the presence of God. But the story, we know that the story, although the chapter ends here, we can still find there's still some hope. Because in that same prophecy, if we look back at um, chapter 3, In that same prophecy where the Lord prophesies that he's going to bring judgment on the house of Eli. He's going to bring judgment on the house of Eli. And we see that it has manifested. We see that the beginning of the manifestation of the prophecy that God 
had um, professed, he proclaimed is starting to happen. But also, he also shares also that that even though that he's going to cut off the house of Eli, that he's going, and that Hophni and Phinehas will be a sign, and they both will die on the same day. If we look at verse 35 in, in chapter 2, he also says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. And I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. There's hope. Even though God, all of this stuff is going on and the prophecy is now being manifested, he's still saying, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what's in my heart and mind. And if he's going to raise up a priest, that gives us hope that although the Ark of the Covenant has been captured, and although the Israel is, has suffered a great loss, as Jeremiah 29 sums it up, it says that God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. So although the Lord is bringing down one house of priests, he promises to raise up for himself another priest. And the priest's duty is to stand in the gap. It's to intercede on behalf of the people at the Ark of the Covenant. And so if he's raising up the priests, we can place our hope here that he's going to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. It may not be today, but our hope is this, that although we might be having, we might be in some troubling times, although we might be suffering some consequences of some of our decisions, Although we are suffering from the negative effect of moving forward void of God's blessing, our hope is that God knows the plans that he has for us. He has the plans to prosper us and not harm us, plans to give us a hope in the future. And then we will call on him and he will we will and he he will then we will call on him and come and pray to him and he will listen to us. We have a hope. Israel, the presence of the God, the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolizes the presence of the God, was taken from them. It was captured. But one thing that we have that they didn't have yet is we have the presence of God living within us. It's called the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. No one can capture that. The enemy can't capture the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And so that tonight, that's something that we should celebrate, is that we will always, as long as we are living for Christ, as long as we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us constantly. Constantly. The Holy Spirit living in us. 
And that is, that is our hope. That is our hope tonight to know that we have Jesus in the form of the Holy Spirit living in us. And not only that, we may have felt, we may have to suffer some consequences, but one thing that we know, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has died for us. Yet while we were sinners, while we made these dumb mistakes, while we have made some plans and haven't sought him first, but one thing for certain is that Christ died for us. Yet while we were yet sinners, he died for us. But not only did he die for us, that he, he, he died for us, he rose on the third day. And not only did he rose on the third day, he ascended to heaven and he is seated on the right hand of, of God. But it doesn't stop there. One day he will return. He will return. And that is the good news. He saved us. He died on the cross. He, he, was rose, from, he rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. But guess what? The good news is he's coming back again. And so that concludes our Bible study tonight. Thank you for tuning in. May God bless you and keep you. This has been another broadcast of Living the Bible Together with Dr. Troy Shaw from the Liberty Hill Church, where we worship virtually on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information or to contribute to this ministry, please visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. God bless you and have a great week. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry.